The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fourth chapter. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. <clears throat> Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, you have made yourself known through your word. And in your word, you have, by your word, you have made us your children. By adoption as co-heirs with your Son, our Saviour. So grant us now so to meditate on your word, that our faith in him may be strengthened. That we may withstand all the temptations of the evil one. This we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. We have here two stories of temptations, two battles, two victors, sets of victors, and two sets of the defeated. First battle, Satan in the form of a serpent against Adam and Eve. One nil to Satan. And the second temptation, Satan, undisguised this time against the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Satan defeated, but is not one all anymore. Because by the defeat of Satan, even at this early stage of his public ministry, Jesus had already consigned Satan to be overall loser. Infinite to one on aggregate, if you put it in football terms. Because in taking on Jesus, Satan took on one 
whose life, whose obedience, whose death, and whose resurrection had power over Satan's rule over mankind, such that in defeating Satan, Jesus wasn't just one man overcoming him, but Jesus overcame Satan on behalf of all mankind, including those first losers, Adam and Eve, and all their children ever since. And that battle on both rounds was really only about one thing. And it's that battle, it's that temptation that whatever you think you are tempted by is really all of our ultimate temptation. It was a battle over trust in God's word. The serpent was really blatant about it in the first time round. Has God really said? Is it really the case? And actually, it wasn't just about whether God had said, but really, could what God said be trusted? And you can see that even by entering into that conversation, Eve put herself onto unsteady ground. Because in her response, she wasn't contented to repeat the words of God. God had said to Adam before the creation of Eve that you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Very simple, very straightforward. Now why God would do such a thing is another sermon for another time. I think we have an answer to that. But the key point is that when Serpent said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And it wasn't quite like that, was it? The tree in the midst of the garden wasn't the only tree in the midst of the garden. There were two. There was a tree of life, of which they were to eat. And it wasn't the being in the midst of the garden that was the key, but it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of that they may not eat. Nothing was said about touching it. Just don't eat of it. And by that simple but fatal paraphrasing of God's word, Eve lost already her confidence. She lost her ground of defense against Satan's temptation because now all of a sudden God sounded like a spoiled sport. <coughs> And sounded like a little bit of an ogre. If he even touched the tree, he never said such thing. This command of God sounds like a harsh restriction and a dangerous restriction. You can imagine that on your way through the garden, in the midst of the garden, your arm might just brush against the tree. Oh, we mustn't do that. That's danger. 
Whereas what God had warned against was the active action of reaching out and eating of, this, of that tree, which would require not just an accidental brushing against something that was there, but a conscious decision of the will to go against what God had said. And so there's a chink in her armor. She was not contented simply to confess what God had said. That is to say, she was not contented to remember and to repeat God's word. But she did the fatal thing that we've been doing ever since. She interpreted scripture. She interpreted God's word. That's how it sounded to her. And in that moment, she had already begun to abandon faith in God's word. And now there was an opening and Satan rode into it with, a cavalry, with, with his cavalry. You shall not surely die. You think that God is a little bit of a harsh taskmaster, a bit of a spoiled sport, a bit of a dangerous being who sets arbitrary rules that might be bad for you. That's not true. It isn't. But Satan had Eve sounding a bit like that. And so he played this game to the end. You shall not surely die. He's not actually going to do that. But yes, he is holding you back. Yes, he is being strict unnecessarily. The day you eat of it, you shall not die, but your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now you can just hear the thinking in Eve's head between the lines saying, Oh, evil, I don't know anything about that. That sounds fascinating. I'd love to learn more about that. And the game was lost because the tempter, tempter took away Eve's confidence in the word. And the funny thing is, that is not all her fault. Don't blame the woman all the time, even though she was at fault. And she was the one who's overcome, but there's somebody else who also failed spectacularly because God had never told Eve about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God had told Adam. Adam was the first minister of the word in creation. God had given this word to Adam and Adam's task clearly had been on, he had seen it as his task to tell her as a responsible person. It was Adam's task to guard and to keep the garden, which didn't just mean pruning the trees and tilling the ground, but it also meant guarding and keeping conduct in the garden in accordance with God's word. These very same verbs, to guard and to keep, are the words that are used later in the law of Moses for the task of the priest in the temple. Adam was the first priest of creation. And the chief task of priests then and then thereafter was to teach God's word to the people. And we know that he was standing right there because when Eve took the fruit, he gave, she gave some to him because he was there with her, beside her. So this was a failure of the minister of the word, of the priest of God, to do his job of teaching properly and accurately God's word and then guarding his one woman congregation so that she stays in the word. He 
He put seemingly harmony, marital harmony, if you like, over against God's word. And in this double calamity, all was lost. And this temptation is the temptation. I don't know all of you in, well enough to say that I could list all the, your, the chief things that tempt you. I can't even tell whether you are all sufficiently self-aware that you'll be able to make an accurate list. But there are things that we are tempted by. Some of us are tempted by, well, if we take the list from the catechism reading this morning, by anger or rudeness or quarrelsomeness. Some of us are disobedient to authorities. Some of us are dishonest with our words or our actions. We like to be economical with the truth or careless with other people's property. Some of us are tempted by desires of the body, whether it's sexual temptation or gluttony or drink or whatever it is. There are enough temptations to go around for every one of the Earth's eight billion inhabitants. And they're not going to run out anytime soon. But every single one of them is fundamentally and ultimately about trusting God's word. Because God has said, he has said, you shall do this and you shall not do that. And every time we consciously and knowingly do something that we know that God's word has said we should not do. Or we refrain from doing the thing that God has commanded us to do. We are engaging in that same conversation has God really said and every time we go against God's word we are overruling God and thereby breaking the first commandment you shall have no other gods he is God he is the judge he is the giver of the law and we are not you are not and we do not have the right to overrule God that is idolatry so every one of our sins makes us an idolater. And just like Eve and Adam with her, we give ourselves liberties with God's word saying, yeah, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. You shall not surely die. In fact, this thing might be a good thing. In fact, I recently saw an account of a Christian organization that was accused of hiding some pretty unpleasant things under the surface. And the accusation was that the head of that organization was guilty of this and that the members of the organization had been trained to make sure that nobody found out. And, I, and there was a, an investigation and there's a witness statement that said, quite astonishingly, that no, the, the accusations against the leader are not true. And members have not been told to conceal the truth, except in extreme circumstances. It didn't say who defines what an extreme circumstance is. But you can see the chink there. And we look at this and say, well, that sounds a bit dodgy, doesn't it? But isn't this exactly what we do all the time? I know that I shouldn't do this, but this time it can't be helped or it may be the best thing. Maybe this is an extreme case where actually I'm justified in losing my temper or being rude or angry or quarrelsome or giving into this temptation or that temptation or having a second bottle of wine or whatever it is that we are tempted by. 
Fill in your particular personal weaknesses. But God has said. He has said and he stands behind his word. And he will not be forever slandered. And he will not be forever overruled and dethroned. But of course the trouble is that we can't help it. Adam and Eve have had a choice and we have a kind of choice but we are not really in a position to make that choice because our reason and our strength has been clouded and overcome by sin. To put it very briefly, Satan is stronger than us. And even if Satan went away tomorrow, our sinful flesh has power over our reason, our strength, our faith. And this is why Jesus came. And this is why Jesus subjected himself to temptation. It's the one, it's the favorite question of teachers of theology ask their students. Could Jesus really be tempted if he was the son of God? Because surely God can't be tempted. And the students say, well, of course not. I said, ah, are you saying that he wasn't truly a man? Because if he, wasn't, if he couldn't be tempted, then he wasn't truly a man. And we kind of get students into this conundrum. And the answer to all of those questions is, that's not the point, is it? That's not why we have this account. Why, we have, why, we, why this happened wasn't to satisfy a curiosity about the two natures in Christ, but rather here Jesus voluntarily took the place of mankind as the tempted one. And in order to make it even more so, he weakened himself first. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And many, many, many Christians fast during Lent for 40 days by giving up a meal a day or by giving up alcohol or by giving up something or taking up an extra spiritual discipline or some such thing. And those things are commendable and they are very good in their place. But Jesus did something different. He hungered and he thirsted so that when he was encountered by Satan, he was at his weakest. He disarmed himself. And by, there, by that, he lured Satan in, thinking that he was an easy target. And the devil tried the trick again. Twisted scripture at Jesus. And he twisted the truth. Gave half-truths at Jesus. And by those, he tried to tempt him. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become loaves of bread. Are you really? Let's see. You don't have to suffer. You have the power, don't you? You feel weak? Are you powerful? Are you? Or God said he will command his angels concerning you. Let's skip the next line and say, on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Selective quotation of scripture. He said so. You trust God, don't you? Go on then, show me. And when that didn't work, the half-truth, half-lie, I can give you the kingdom of the world. Just worship me. They're yours. None of that was strictly speaking untrue. But the moment Jesus entered the game and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones, he's already acknowledging the implication that this question is, that this, this fact is in dispute. Prove it to me. 
Just like we are so often tempted by doubt saying, well, I'm supposed to be a Christian and now look at me. Or if you know, God says he loves me, but look at what's happening in my life. God says he will guide me and bless me, but look at the mess in the midst of which I am. God's supposed to be the king of the universe and look at the mess the world is in. If you are, if you are, are you really? The question itself entertains doubt of God and his word. All this selective quotation from the scriptures, which is so beloved of all the charlatans and heretics and false teachers of the church's history. God has commanded a blessing. Well, let's call it. What, what, what looks like a blessing to you? A bigger house, better health, prettier wife, less age, more health, more money. Well, God has commanded a blessing. Command it. And again, it's not that the scripture doesn't say that. But scripture also defines what a blessing is in other terms. But the moment what, what is done there, again, Satan has succeeded. Let's take our attention of God's actual promises and really let's redefine the promises that we are looking for because then we can all be disappointed at God together and faith is destroyed. And it is true that the devil has been given the kings of the world. Those of you who've been studying the book of Revelation with me will know this. For a time, for a time, but at the end of that time, it will be taken away from him and he will be destroyed with all the wicked. It's like giving somebody, say, look, I've been given this soap bubble and I'll give it to you. Just give me your money. Well, it's true, but it won't, be, it won't bring you lasting happiness, will it? These are all the temptations that we face all the time. We want to see God's love or God's guidance or God's work in life in the way that makes sense to us, as opposed to seeking it from God's word. Or we take those bits of God's word that suit us, that we want to see to be true, and then we judge God accordingly. Or worst of all, that we hanker after things that are genuinely there, but they won't be there forever, aren't lasting goods. And against all of these, Jesus enters into no debates, no discussions. He does what we are called to do as Christians, and which is our most important task in all our life. He simply repeats and confesses God's word. It is written. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. It is written. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It is written. You shall worship the Lord your God alone. And against that, Satan has no power. And you, dear friends, have been given God's word. You and yourself are easily overcome by him. You are even overcome by your own sinful nature. But God's word, our great heritage, the sword of the spirit, the double-edged sword, is able to slay your own desires, sinful desires, and is enough to slay the temptations of the evil one. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God's mouth. All the bread in the world, all the gifts of the world will not keep you alive forever. But the word of God has been given you new birth into eternal life. In fact, there's an ancient custom 
which is indirectly commented on and commended, actually, in the small catechism, in that Christians would fast on Sunday morning, no breakfast on Sunday before the Eucharist, no breakfast before communion, so that when you come to church, you're already hungry. And by the time it comes to communion, you're really hungry. And your body is saying, feed me, feed me. And you're by, by, by so fasting, you're telling your body, you shall not live by bread alone. I'll feed you once I've eaten the bread of life first. And then you can have a really nice brunch after church. And catechism says it's a good bodily discipline. But these bodily disciplines are there all as, assistant, as assisting us to draw us to God's word and faith in him. Because behind the word of God is God himself. He guarantees it with his own eternal glory and honor and with his own unlimited power. You entrust yourself to God's word and you will entrust yourself to something that will never move, will never change, will never be canceled, will never be altered. The terms are set and they're fixed and they are all terms that are designed to bring you eternal joy and glory by salvation. Jesus suffered temptation on your behalf, not primarily to teach you how to resist temptation, although we do well to learn from his example, take refuge in God's word, but so that he in himself and in his body might defeat Satan, and he has. And we have been, engraft, we have been grafted into the body of Christ by holy baptism so that we already enjoy his victory over Satan. So our victory against sin and temptation is not our standing firm, even with the word of God, but rather us being found in Christ. And if we are found in Christ through faith in him, then we are already victors. And whatever failures that we experience in our stand against temptation, they will come daily. Worry not. Plenty of temptation left for the rest of your life, however many years you've been given. And when we fail and we fall, those are not for, no, as long as we live by grace, but but. As long as we live by faith in Jesus Christ, those lapses are not falls from grace anymore, but they are wounds that Satan inflicts in anger, which can be healed by the love of God in an instant through the forgiveness of sins. In Christ, we already stand on the side of victory. The kingdoms of this world will perish and, they will be and the world will be taken away from Satan, but no one and nothing will take us away from Jesus so long as we cling to him by faith. He said, my sheep hear my voice. I know my own and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So he is our refuge and our strength. He is the blessing that God has commanded for us. And his angels will guard us in all our ways, even when they lead to the, to the uh, through night of temptation and of fear, even when we enter into the shadow and of, uh, of the valley of death. He will command his, in, in his angels concerning us in all our ways. That's the line of the Satan, is that Satan left out. In all our ways. And he will bear us up. He will bear us up and he will raise us up even from our graves to eternal life beyond the reach of sin, beyond the experience of temptation into the new paradise which will never be corrupted. 
May God in his grace grant this to us all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.